0: In a bag I'm useless But not for long The future is coming on I ain't happy I'm
1: feeling glad I got you.
0: Why can't you just tell me But your words can. If
2: I didn't love you... I'd be and welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Didn't plan on starting the show that way. Uh, I queued up another song, which uh, we're still waiting on. It's going to take a moment. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. That's a new Barbara Streisand song. I don't think I've ever played Barbara Streisand on the show before. However, she has a new song out called Don't Lie to Me. And you can guess what that's about. Oh... <sighs> So, uh, coming in with a lot of rage today, as per usual, we'll be talking about some things, playing some music, and providing other information for folks. Thanks so much for listening in. I am going to get this other song queued up here, uh, with no disrespect to the other Barbra Streisand song that started playing automatically. (sighs) Um, I'll provide a trigger warning early on in the show. I oftentimes forget to until halfway through when I'm already cursing. Not that I don't think curses are personally offensive. However, when we talk about what's happening in the world and actions and behaviors of people in positions of power that harm everybody, uh, that that's deeply upsetting. So wanting just to provide a warning, that's what we'll be talking about on the show a bit. So, and a deep breath, a reminder for myself and for other folks to breathe and uh, to recognize there's more of us than there are of them um, and at the same time we need to be better organized uh, not to say as a chastising thing just as a, a, a reminder that uh, we're, we're out organized in a lot of ways so if there's ways that we can come together that would be um, really super helpful and a good way of changing things i don't know i mean things have been so fucked up for so long and i think now some folks are finally like oh things need to change and a lot of folks have been saying that for a long time that's uh you could probably tune into any of the previous shows i've done and i'll say that almost every week it's a lot of this isn't new perhaps now more of it's being exposed and more, much more of it's overt And we'll be getting to some other stories, more local stories as well here in the Bay Area of things such as uh, BART wanting to uh, add police officers to the trains. And for many of us, uh, law enforcement makes people feel a lot more unsafe. And it kind of does the opposite of what its intended purpose is for a majority of the population, I would suggest. So... That's deeply upsetting. Uh, many folks, of course, have spoken up about it, and it's I guess the thing is you gotta kind of stop it before it becomes normalized, like a lot of things have. and yeah. So, as I get everything ready here, and not everything, it's flying by the seat of my pants as per usual, although sometimes I do wear shorts. Ha ha ha. (sighs) Um, I'm going to look into some other music while we start getting things together here. Thanks again so much for listening. And... uh, Yeah. Um feeling a lot of anger, a lot of rage, a lot of witnessing of, it's, yesterday was an extremely difficult day for a a lot of people and wanting to acknowledge that. And, oh goodness gracious, this is not quite working out as I had hoped it would. So, we're going to start off with this song as was recommended and then uh, then we'll get moving along thanks again for listening listen to Mutiny Radio <sighs> formerly known as Pirate Cat we'll be back in a bit the
3: emperor's got no clothes on no clothes that can't be he's the emperor
2: Wow, I hadn't heard that song before either. Pretty timely, although uh, it's been going on for a long time. Fuck emperors, am I right? Okay. (sighs) So I'll start off with some more, maybe not, the positive stories on the show are more like people taking action against uh, folks who have no conscience and or do evil. And I guess that's what will, that's good enough for me. Better to talk about ways that folks there's diversity tactics many ways that folks can uh push back and we'll be talking about some of that today on the show i'll be getting to some other things i haven't even sat down yet if we had a video camera here and you could see what was happening you would you would know that i'm still standing up um grateful I want to say grateful on the land that we're on we're on lonely land so also wanting to recognize that we're on colonized land we're on stolen land oh goodness it's A lot of this stuff we weren't necessarily taught growing up and, or it was suppressed and, or we find out about later in life and what can we do to decolonize, to, I mean, again, more to take action into doing it as opposed to just talking about it, which I know we can talk about it till the end of the day and then what actions are actually being taken. How do we move forward with that? going to let that hang in the air for a while and just recognize that's where we are. <sighs> this article comes from Splinter. Someone in the White, someone in the House, someone in the House, it just says, someone in the House just stalked a bunch of Republican senators on Wikipedia. And this came out yesterday. It was written by Jack Crosby. This came out at 6.51 p.m. Someone with an IP address corresponding to the House of Representatives doxed Senators Orrin Hatch, Lindsey Graham, and Mike Lee on Thursday evening. At about 5.13 p.m., someone with a House IP address added Graham's personal home address in D.C. and their home state, home phone number, cell phone number, and personal email address to their public Wikipedia pages. Senators Orrin Hatch and Mike Lee also got doxed. The senators themselves were in the middle of questioning Judge Brett Kavanaugh as part of a. Sorry, I almost threw up there. Uh, as part of a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on the multiple allegations of sexual assault leveled towards Kavanaugh, the 45 administration's current nominee for Supreme Court. The doxing was immediately picked up by at Congress DITS, the automated Twitter bot that monitors every Wikipedia edit from an IP address connected to the Capitol building. Interesting. Graham was the first to go, sometime after his fully unhinged rant in supposed defense of Kavanaugh. And they have tweets here. About 12 minutes later, at around 5.25, Hatch's information also went up. Then, it was Lee's turn. About 29 minutes after that, I sat down and the seat's a bit low. If you didn't know, if you're listening for the first time, thanks for listening. It's a very... (laughs) We don't really... Just kind of go with the flow here. I don't usually narrate everything that's happening. However, I feel I need to add some levity to the situation because we're re- <laughs> these are the times we're in and... Okay, moving my stuff aside, getting things together. Okay, all the edits were almost immediately suppressed and taken down from the site, but are immortalized by the at Congress DTIS screenshots. And so they have a, yeah, they have the, the list here. Um, they have the screenshots. The doxing apparently ruffled some feathers. Oh. As the main U.S. Congress wiki got hit shortly after by someone writing, Wikipedia should block all congressional IPs if some little... Ugh, they're calling rich boy socialist interns. And I don't... Uh, I can't... My mind can't wrap myself... Can't, I can't... My mind can't wrap itself around this sentence. Rich boy socialist intern. Um, some rich boy socialist interns can't be responsible online Okay, which would certainly be one response to the problem so far it doesn't look like any of the democratic members of the senate judiciary committee have been doxxed in retaliation and they have screenshots here the next edit was to the at congress d i t s wikipedia page itself uh, Cong- at congress d i t s was a mistake anyway It's always a good time to engage with your elected officials and then there's an update the police were notified that's super important thanks um okay spokesperson for graham told gizmodo he was aware of the doxing but declined to comment on what steps the office was taking in response diversity of tactics and we of course know that folks who speak out whistleblowers for instance and survivors who speak out against people in positions of power are threatened constantly, oftentimes having to move. (sighs) So it's for these men in positions of power to, like, be... This is, like, such a minor thing compared to what so many folks who actually speak truth to power go through. Uh, And it looks like... I'm looking to see if they have any of their information screenshotted, if there's a screenshots of those anywhere included in the article, because of course things have been taken down. But i um, just curious to see if there's any links to that, if folks saved it at all somewhere, or if there's a link to that. Because we do know that a lot of things that we have online get saved forever. So that's one one way of stepping up. Okay. There's an article I'm going to read from 2005. Now, I usually don't do this on purpose. Sometimes I might read an article. I'm like, oh, that happened last year. Oops. Rarely, but it happens. I'll acknowledge that. And this was something that was posted on a page, and I thought it was kind of timely in that it's one way to show up. And when folks try to hold people accountable and other folks won't be held accountable because they are born into power and privilege, and folks will defend them even though they've done heinous things, and people will not try to atone for their behavior at all, Uh, time to take matters into your own hands. This is an article from The Guardian, and it came out on September 16th, 2005. So Right now, it's September 28th, so, <laughs> 2018. So this happened a little over 13 years ago, this article anyway, and it was written by uh, Rekha Prasad, and the title is Arrest Us All, The 200 Women Who Killed a Rapist. When hundreds of women descended on Nagpur District Court armed with knives, stones, and chili powder, within minutes, the man who raped them lay dead, Rekha Prasad reports. A year ago, uh, Usha... Nure, Nureyani uh, was about to embark on a new life, a call center worker with a diploma in hotel management. She was 25 and about to travel north from her home in the center of India to begin a managerial job in a hotel in Punjab. The job would transport not only would, it would transport her not only geographically but also socially. Like her neighbors, Nureyani and my apologies if I'm mispronouncing this, is a Dalit, an untouchable, at the bottom of the caste ladder. Schooling and literacy are rare among the women of Kasturba Nagar, a slum neighborhood in the city of Nagpur, where she grew up. She was unmarried, preferring to work and study. Yet nobody resented her success. Instead, they had high hopes for the girl. But Narayane went nowhere. <sighs> Today, she is in her family's one-room windowless home, awaiting trial for murder. At 3 p.m. on August 13, 2004, Aku Yadav was lynched by a mob of around 200 women from Kasturba Nagar. It took them 15 minutes to hack to death the man they say raped them with impunity for more than a decade. Chili powder was thrown in his face and stones hurled. As he flailed and fought, one of his alleged victims hacked off his penis with a vegetable knife. A further 70 stab wounds were left on his body. The incident was made all the more extraordinary by its setting. Yadav was murdered not not in the dark alleys of the slum, but on the shiny white marble floor of Nagpur District Court. Laughed at and abused by the police when they reported being raped by Yadav, the women took the law into their own hands. A local thug, Yadav and his gang had terrorized the 300 families of Kasturba Nagar for more than a decade, barging into homes, demanding money, shouting threats and abuse. Residents say he murdered at least three neighbors and dumped their bodies on railway tracks. They had reported his crimes to the police dozens of times. Each time he was arrested, he was granted bail. But it was rape that Yadav used to break and humiliate the community. A rape victim lives in every other house in the slum, say the residents of Nagar. He violated women to control men, ordering his henchmen to drag even girls as young as 12 to nearby derelict buildings to be gang-raped. In India, even to admit to being raped is taboo, yet dozens of Yadav's victims reported the crime, but the 32-year-old was never charged with rape. Instead, the women say, the police would tell them who had made the reports, and he would come after them. According to residents, the police were hand-in-glove with Yadav. He fed the local officers bribes and drink, and they protected him. When one 22-year-old reported being raped by Yadav, the police accused her of having an affair with him and sent her away. Several others were sent away after being told, You're a loose woman, that's why he raped you. Nagpur is counted among India's fastest growing cities, yet the experience of the women of Kastorba Nagar is a parallel tale of how everyday life in India's back streets is stuck in the past. Splashed across the country's newspapers, the gory image of Yadav's blood on the courtroom floor was a lesson in the consequences of the state unable to protect the weak and the vulnerable. Does that sound familiar? After Yadav's murder, Powerful voices were raised supporting the lynch mob. Prominent lawyers issued a statement saying the women should not be treated as the accused, but as the victims. One retired high court judge even congratulated the women. In the circumstances they underwent, they were left with no alternative but to finish a coup. The women repeatedly pleaded with the police for their security, but the police failed to protect them. Does that also sound familiar? Said Justice Bahao Vahan. Two weeks before the lynching, Yirav came to... Narayani's house on several successive days threatening to throw acid on her and rape her. He targeted her, she says, because she was outspoken and her brother-in-law, a lawyer, had verbally stood up to Yadav. He raped only poor people whom he thought wouldn't go and tell, or, if they did, wouldn't be listened to. But he made a big mistake in threatening me. People felt if I were attacked, no woman would ever be safe. Although Narayani had been charged with Yadav's murder, she claims she was not at the court when it took place, but in the slum collecting signatures for a mass complaint against him. Among the charges leveled against her are some of India's most serious offenses, including anti nationalist crimes amounting to treason. The cops say I planned the murder, that I started it. They have to make someone a scapegoat, she says. She believes that she has been singled out because she has been the police's most vociferous critic. Her education gave her the confidence that inspired the community to act, she says. In the week before the lynching, people started to talk about taking action against Yadav. He disappeared, sensing boiling anger. Narayani and her brother-in-law bypassed the local officers and went straight to the deputy commissioner. He gave the family a safe house for a night and promised to search for him. On August 6th, hundreds of residents smashed his empty house to rubble. By evening, they heard Yadav had surrendered and was in custody. The police said the police had said he would be in danger if he came back. They suggested he surrender into their care for his own safety. The next day he was due to appear at the city the city's district court and five hundred slum residents gathered. As Yadav arrived, one of his henchmen tried to pass him knives wrapped in a blanket under the noses of the police. After the women protested, the accomplice was arrested and Yadav taken back into custody, but not before he threatened to return and teach every woman in the slum a lesson. Hearing that Yadav was likely to get bail yet again, when he returned to court, the women decided to act. It was not calculated, Narayani says. It was not a case that we all sat down and calmly planned what would happen. It was an emotional outburst. The women decided that, if necessary, they'd go to prison, but that this man would never come back and terrorize them. On the day of Yadav's hearing, 200 women came to the court armed with vegetable knives and chili powder. As he walked in, Yadav spotted one of the women he had raped. He called her a prostitute and threatened to repeat the crime against her. The police laughed. She took off her sandal and began to hit him, shouting, ''We can't both live on this earth together. It's you or me.'' It was a rallying cry to an incensed mob. Soon, he was being attacked on all sides. Knives were drawn, and the two terrified officers guarding him ran away. <laughs> Within 15 minutes, Yadav was dead on the courthouse floor, but his death has not brought the woman peace. Five were immediately arrested, then released following a demonstration across the city. Now every woman living in the slum has claimed responsibility for the murder. They say no one person can take the blame. They have told the police to arrest them all. But it is... Narayene, who is in limbo as she waits for her case to be heard. After the murder, society's eyes opened. The police's failings came to light. That has irritated them. The police see me as a catalyst for the exposure and want to nip it in the bud. They face a fight. Narayana is loudly unrepentant. I'm not scared. I'm not ashamed, she says. We've done a good thing for society. We will see whether society repays us. Whew wow so again this article came out in September of 2005 and it's in the Guardian and folks can find it there and it's also on the page that we share news on which is on Facebook and it's facebook.com forward slash weekly rev we share uh, news articles there so I'm just gonna again let that sit and, and land ugh I feel like no matter how many trigger warnings I give, it's never quite enough, and I, I don't have many more words to say about that right now. Um still in the process of getting the music up. That for some reason, it's not. We're unable to load the song that we wanted to play, so I'm going to look for another one here. And we'll be back in a bit. back to weekly review we're still having some technical difficulties here trying to get everything um lined up all right and let's see here hey, listen to mutiny radio uh, feel free to come on by there we go we are in the studios here at the corner of 21st and florida play a bit more music and then we'll be back uh, in a bit
4: Says, A love declared for days to come is as good as none. Mm -hmm. You can wait till morning comes, you can wait for the new day, you can wait and lose his heart. You can wait and soon be sorry if not now Then when If not today Then why make your promises? Hey love declared for days to come is as good as none. Mm -hmm. Now love's the only thing that's free. We must take it where it's found. Pretty soon it may be costly. If not now, then when? promises a love declared for days to come is as good as none thinking the moment has arrived
2: street to chapman with if not now from december of 1988 from the oakland coliseum arena oh, we're going to some more stories here uh oh that's a lot a lot of size as i'm opening up the tabs of the stories and or headlines to read and share with listeners uh where, where to start oh goodness gracious <sighs> um I think perhaps if we're going to continue on there's been a a spike in folks reporting sexual assault um, from from yesterday there's a 147% increase and so it's bringing up a lot for a lot of people And a lot of folks were sharing their experiences on social media. And the National Sexual Assault Hotline saw a 147% increase in calls on Thursday Thursday compared with a normal weekday um, in which sexual assault doesn't dominate the news, which is according to Rain, which is R-A-I-N-N, a a large anti-sexual violence organization that administers the hotline. And the organization told, and this is from Time Magazine, told Time It often sees an uptick in survivors asking for help when sexual assault is in the news. And they say, uh, but Thursday's numbers were even higher than some recent instances. For example, in October 2016, when Access Hollywood had the tape of 45, fucking gross. They saw his disgusting quote. uh, They saw a call to the sexual assault hotline went up 33%. And then since Ford has come forward with her allegations, uh, Rain has said it has seen a 45.6% increase compared to the same time period last year. And then over the past weekend, there's a second accuser. And I've heard also a third and even fourth. Yeah, second. Uh, um, so the phone number that folks can call, uh, Rain's uh, there's their online hotline. Um, and there's also the uh, National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is 800-656-4673. And you can also go to hotline.rain, which is, again, with two Ns, .org. And they have more information, and in you can give a chat um, on their website as well. So that's that's in uh, from Time Magazine. And there's a story that Huffington Post put out last year, um, and unfortunately this is still current. Uh, how to cope when sexual assault dominates the news cycle. And I recognize I'm also, it's, how do we talk about this without further traumatizing and triggering folks? Um, if we don't talk about it at all, that doesn't necessarily help. And then also recognizing um, how important it is for folks to take time away, um, if that's what's best for you. So uh, the, artic- the author of this article is Bridget uh, Fet- Fetasi, um, who's contributor. Um, how to Cope When Sexual Assault Dominates the News Cycle, Moderate Your Exposure and Know When It's Time to Unplug. And this came out on October 16th, 2017. Hashtag me too. It happens the same way every time, whether it's Bill Cosby, Woody Allen, Roger Ailes, 45, and now Harvey Weinstein. A woman will come forward with accusations of sexual abuse, and then many women will come forward and suddenly sexual assault dominates the 24 hour news cycle. It's everywhere you turn. Your social media timelines are filled with news stories and women sharing their own accounts in solidarity. And I'm also just going to add that there's also a lot of queer trans folks um, who also experience sexual assault on a regular basis. So wanting to add folks uh, to expand the language in this. Uh, celebrities can come forward. Uh, celebrities come forward. Hashtags spring up. It seems impossible to escape at the salon, the bar or work. People are also talking about your worst nightmare. People are talking about your worst nightmare. And I'm actually not going to fully read this, but I want to just rec- just recognize that it's there for folks who want to go ahead and read this. And just speaking about, um, I'll, actually I will uh, as a survivor, this is uh, what what she has, and it's like bullet points. I'll read the bullet points, and then we'll move along. Uh, one, you aren't overreacting. Stay away from anyone who suggests that you are. Two, don't judge yourself. Three, therapy, therapy, therapy. And again, if, it, if it's affordable and accessible, and unfortunately, in this country right now, we would rather spend money on fucking war than mental health. And you wonder why we're at where we're at. I imagine the listeners don't wonder that, because we know. Because there are folks in positions of power who make money off of war and prisons, and you know, incarceration and punishment instead of actually rehabilitation and health care. <sighs> Number four is have a plan. Uh, five is knowledge is power, so just in terms of like finding books that can be helpful, um, and they recommend uh, The Body Keeps the Score, oh yeah, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and that's uh, K-O-L-K, it's van der Kolk, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. And also for folks, if you're interested, if you do audiobooks, there's um, there's an audiobook version of it that's available I think on Hoopla, which is one of the sites where you can get out library. If you have a library card, you can get out library books as well as hear audiobooks. And so there's an audio version of that as well. Uh, the Body Keeps the Score. And it's about un- understanding how trauma impacts the body and the brain from a scientific perspective. So Uh, Trauma and one of the quotes from the books is, trauma robs you of the feeling that you are in charge of yourself, of what I will call self-leadership. The challenge of recovery is to reestablish ownership of your body and your mind of yourself. Next, six is self-care. Seven, put the mask on first, and it's that whole saying, put your mask on before you can help others, or put on someone else's mask. Eight, if you feel inspired to share your story. Nine, support other women. And again, I would open that to be uh, support other survivors of sexual assault, which there's also men and rec- just wanting to, again, open up the conversation and recognizing that as well. Uh, 10, you don't owe anyone, anything 11 compassion, compassion, compassion. And if you'd like to check out the website, the article that has more information again, it's how to cope when sexual assault dominates the news cycle. And it came out in October of 2017. <sighs> Fuck. I get that there's themes in terms of people in positions of power wanting to keep people down and oppressed and harmed and I, I, oh, it's like difficult to make a, a segue from one depressing topic to another and then I guess the best we can do is try to acknowledge that it's happening and see the patterns in which we try to keep, I mean, folks just try to, I don't know. Oftentimes I wish I had, uh, I usually, actually always wish I had uh, transcriptions of the show so folks who are deaf or hard of hearing can have access to it and also just another way of getting this information. And then I talk sometimes and it's, of course, top of my head, going with the flow and it's about very difficult subjects that I myself am have very strong feelings about and experiences in, and it's so difficult to, I guess, create the language to, I think, fully express myself and to move the conversation forward. And I think even just witnessing it, though, should be enough. It's difficult. Right now, it's honestly, it's pretty difficult to be here. And I don't have to be here. I get it. I also, in this long archive of shows, I feel it's important to be here today to be able to give voice to this. So I'm in a a California labor history class, which is really fucking depressing as most history, most history books are that are accurate. And uh, we recently read about the 1934 San Francisco general strike. And I highly recommend folks learn about it. Oh my goodness. So San Francisco was shut down and like so many different people took part in it and there's more statistics and information. And I don't, right now my mind is buzzing a little bit and I don't want to provide any misinformation. However, it was pretty intense and, uh, police officers killed two people who were striking. One of whom was a cook. someone who was serving in the kitchen, making food for strikers. And then the following day, there was a big funeral procession. Like everyone, thousands of people came out for that. And just seeing how union busting and law enforcement and it's – we get angry at it now and then we think back to decades ago and, you know, before any of us even got here and how it's just been so ingrained to keep people in positions of power and to protect property. And uh, and perhaps that's why part of the reason is that the fight is so difficult, is that not only has this been going on since before we got here – it's that we're not taught about it, or we're taught misinformation about it, if it's even mentioned at all. And honestly, I don't, remember being, I don't remember learning about the San Francisco general strike until very recently. And there are so many strikes throughout time that we haven't really heard about, because it's not taught. Gee, I wonder why that is. Meanwhile, here's a segue. Wink, wink. Uh, I wasn't really winking. There's no one here to wink at. <sighs> if you're ever around here on a Friday at noon, uh, come by the station, say hi. This is a show that doesn't really necessarily have a, a live studio audience, although we could I could imagine having people here. We got the room for it. I recognize it's a weekday afternoon. However, we do have seats, and instead of you know some shows that have audiences that like laugh at jokes or clap um, after music performances, here we can all just sigh in unison or groan or punch uh, inanimate objects to show our frustration with the world and the way things are or organize. That could be something. Okay. So this article is from the guardian. Ugh. It's not even the most, I mean, all the stories are frustrating. I can't compare. They're all fucking deeply upsetting. Amazon trading videos coach whole food staff on how to discourage unions. The Guardian obtained internal video sent to Whole Foods management, coaching them on how to watch for unionizing. And we've had a guest on the show before, Azalia, who used to work at Whole Foods and was fired for trying to unionize uh, her coworkers. And there's, a, there's been recent, I've met many folks who've worked at Whole Foods and had unhappy experiences there. We know the CEO. I, first of all, don't try, I mean, I haven't, I've been boycotting Whole Foods for a while. I used to go more often um, when I lived there. Now I haven't been in a number of months And it's, first of all, it's super expensive. Second of all, the workers are treated like crap. Third of all, the CEO, he's vegan, I heard, but still sells meat. And like, that's kind of, I I don't understand. I can't, like, I'm not even fully vegan. And I still, am like, would rather not provide, like, why sell meat? Why that whole moral compass thing? It's like, how are you? Anyway, he also doesn't provide, that's a smaller thing, but it's still upsetting to me. he doesn't provide health care for his employees and doesn't let them unionize, et cetera. So Whole Foods was, and also they were marking up their food, like, by, it was already too expensive, but then they also were, like, falsely, they, for the, some of the food where they were, like, f- I think it was cheeses or something, they were marking up the price e- even more, even more exorbitantly than it was, like, they were, like, faking how much it was, or, like, they're adding, they said it was maybe, it weighed more than it did. Long story short, Whole Foods, blah. If you can go elsewhere, please do support co-ops. Rainbow Co-op. There's a co-op here in the city. Okay, great. So we already were like, no Whole Foods, and then Amazon bought them. And you're like, oh great, two can two wrongs make even more of a wrong? Great. Uh, so Amazon's doing the two-hour grocery delivery, and it's it's conglomerates and monopolies just fuck over everyone. Okay, so this was written by uh, Michael Sinato, and it came out. Thursday, September 27th. Amazon old Whole Foods. I can't. It's like, oh, my head hurts even thinking about this. Market has stepped up its efforts to crack down on union activity among employees, instructing managers to watch out for warning signs of union activity and to tell possible union members that joining a union is a roll of the dice. Go fuck yourself. Oh, fuck. Following a mass email sent out on September 6th by Whole Foods employees seeking to coordinate with one another to discuss workplace issues and the prospect of forming a union, Amazon released training videos for managers in an attempt to head off union efforts. The Guardian obtained Amazon training videos, first reported by Gizmodo, that were recently sent out to Whole Foods store management and team leaders, department managers, coaching them on how to union bust within their stores. I want to, like, post. I have all these ideas of things to do that I don't. Either have the resources to do the energy to do. Um, however, it would be great if this article could be like posted outside all fucking Whole Foods um, to either prevent people from going in to boycott Whole Foods, continue the boycott for Whole Foods, and for folks who are working there, like the employees deserve to not be treated this way. Okay, I imagine printing out a lot of things and wheat pasting them all over town. I have a lot of I have a lot of ideas, and it's a matter of just getting them into so when folks actually. Do carry through. I appreciate it. Okay. Bargaining is a roll of the dice. Things could get better for associates, but they could get worse or stay exactly the same. One cartoon character says in a training video, they're using a fucking car I can oh, and also as a fucking actor, it's like I think about when roles are offered and who's paying and like what's the what are they selling? And oh my goodness. In another segment, I also would imagine that most actors would probably turn down. I know it's, it's a difficult business to be in. However, I would think many more of us, I should say, not all, I'd imagine many more of us would not take on certain work projects if we knew who the companies were for and, or what they were saying. In another, I also bet they had already, probably hired a non-union actor to do that cartoon character voice. It's an idea I have. It's a thought I have. We'll see. In another segment, The narrator noted a character could have blamed General Motors' bankruptcy as a symptom of labor unions. Not the fact that they were, you know, exporting jobs. Oh, my gosh. Having a union can make it hard to stay competitive, said another character. They can't even have real fucking people in a video segment. I'm so angry at this. I mean, I'm angry at the other stuff, too, and I feel like this is just an easier target right now. I mean, every, it's, there's so many. It's just, uh, I can't. I'm super angry about a lot of things, and this is where my anger is coming out now. They don't share our same values. Ugh, why did I use that voice? I don't know. During the same segment, the character cited that the majority of political donations from unions go to Democrats, and the narrator, narrator reaffirmed this characterization. Uh, actually, the Democrats have been fairly... Uh, working against unions for a while, as said the Republicans too anyway that 's my statement i 'm going eventually finish this article don 't worry a union sever okay they 're just lying their entire article is just qu- them quoting and lying about unions okay they 're talking about warning signs, warning signs also included looking out for union words such as a living wage that 's in quotations can't have a living wage. Uh, The training videos provide managers with tips and information on how to navigate around labor laws to prevent unionization efforts and how to express criticism toward union efforts without committing an unfair labor practice. Avoid absolutes. Speak in possibilities instead, advised the narrator. In one example cited the video, the narrator said, you would never threaten to close your building just because associates joined a union, but you might need to talk about how having a union could hurt innovation. Okay, with Amazon and Whole Foods, what more do you fucking need? if it were worker-owned can you fucking imagine also as far as the you know getting the guillotine ready and like jeff bezos is i think pretty he should be pretty towards the front of the line on that um uh, him and kavanaugh let's just say there's a many there's many many people be at the front of the line for the fucking guillotine uh they're afraid of hurting innovate i fuck i can't even i can't i can't okay okay This is, again, why I couldn't be a, I don't think I'd be a a newscaster for a, first of all, they wouldn't hire me. Second of all, I don't like dress codes. Third of all, I swear. Fourth of all, I might not read what they give me to read. And fifth of all, I would probably lose it if I even reading articles that are telling the truth, I would get very exasperated and it might take me a while to get through the article. I'll do it though. It's like a per, it's like a per test of perseverance, you know. When you're going, when you're exercising, you're like, I just got to do one more lap or do one more set. It's like I got to finish it. I'm going to finish this article. I'm going to get through it, as disturbing as it is. Over the past few weeks, since the Whole Worker Community first announced its existence and sent a mass recruiting email to stores around the ca- the country, several Whole Foods employees have reported met reported managers and team leaders being sent into training meetings on labor unions. They told us. How, as team leaders, we are expected to toe the company line and be anti-union. One Whole Foods employee who recently attended one of the meetings told The Guardian, As team leaders, we have been told that we are expected to support the company's anti-union stance and that unions were good at the turn of the century but aren't necessarily anymore because the government has labor laws. Yeah. Yeah, Look, look how well that's working out right now. How minimum wage has not raised... Minimum wage has not raised enough to be on par with inflation how folks can't afford rent which has been a thing for a long time Healthcare costs are up social programs are down things are in ways worse in a lot of ways labor-wise in a lot of ways mass incarceration's gone up which is forced labor okay Other Whole Foods workers claimed their management wasn't forthright about the meetings focusing on unions. I peeked into the store conference room and there were some slide up titled WFM and Unions. And I asked several team members about it afterwards who all declined to comment or made something up about it being about the new signage stuff, one employee told The Guardian. Another worker said the manager claimed the meetings were about the holidays. In a statement, an Amazon spokesperson said, fuck you said the of the union training videos were perplexed as to why Kizmodo takes issue with the company. Okay. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm not even going to read their fucking nonsense. In the U.S., the average hourly wage for a full-time associate in our fulfillment centers, including cash, stock, and incentive bonuses, is over $15 an hour before overtime. That's it, which you still can't fucking live off of. That's in addition to our full benefits package that includes health, vision, dental insurance, retirement, generous parental leave, and skills training in in-demand jobs through our career choice program that has over 16,000 participants themselves taking a tour of our fulfillment centers. I say it should be fucking worker-owned and case closed, not that I rule on these things, but I would like to. And I would say I would just can you imagine if all Whole Foods and all of Amazon was like worker-owned? If all businesses were worker-owned? I'm sure they'd be a lot happier than with what they have. And also uh, people have been wanting to form unions for a long time, and if things were as good as the Management says they are, then why do you think uh, workers are, are so unhappy? And also, with all the fucking income they make, too, it's anyway. Whew. High Court in Trinidad and Tobago decriminalizes gay sex. This is from Gay Star News, and this came out September 21st. The court upheld an April ruling and dismantled parts of the Sexual Offenses Act, but the Trinidad and Tobago government vowed to challenge the ruling. All right, a Trinidad and Tobago high court judge ruled on Thursday, September 20th, that sexual activity between consenting adults of the same sex, which I don't necessarily believe in because there's no binary, okay, is legal. All right, in a high court challenge launched February 2017, activist Jason Jones argued sections 13 and 16 were unconstitutional. In April, the high court ruled in his favor and overturned colonial era sections 13 and 16 of the Sexual Offenses Act. The government's challenging the ruling. Um, Attorney General says he'll appeal the decision. And the government will take the matter to the highest court, the UK based privy council. The decriminalization of adult consensual intimacy is a huge step forward for our community, Jones told Gay Star News. This is not about LGBT. This is about the rights and freedoms enshrined in our constitution. He told local media, we have been living in the shadows for far too long. Jones told gay star news, but he warned the fight for full equality continues. The law was a holdover from the Caribbean nation's time as a British colony. (sighs) Jones is currently crowdfunding for the privy council legal battle. A win here could see decriminalization in another 10 former British colonies, which used the Privy Council as a Supreme Court. All right, and there's more to that article, and you can check it out at Gay Star News. So that's something more positive. Also, moving along, uh, so Salesforce is pretty fucking terrible. We know this, and we know that they have a contract with ICE, and folks had set up a activist set up a detention center. Um, like a model detention center outside of Salesforce for the Salesforce convention this past week. And there are a lot of photos online about it. And we're reading now uh, from Latino rebels, which is at Latino breaking following protests. Salesforce agrees to meet with activists to discuss controversial border patrol contract. And again, this is activists. This is direct action. These are folks who are doing it. This is not the, oh, we'll, we'll wait until November. Oh, we'll wait until 2020. Oh, we'll just da, da 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 This is fucking people taking action into their own hands, and we see time and time again that's what changes things. Okay, this came out on September 27th, and there's a photo outside the Salesforce building with hashtag cancel the contract being projected on the side of the building. Last night, attendees of Salesforce's Big Dream Fest concert featuring Metallica and Janet Jackson. Uh, there's no question mark. I'm adding that question mark. Metallica, we you know because like Lars had issues with. I was a into metal, and so I kind of know their names. Anyway, during after uh what was it? Was it LimeWire or Napster? Was one of the music sharing sites. Um, Lars Ulrich, and for Metallica, they had a lot of issues with that. And then recently, James Hetfield, their singer, <sighs> um, made some comments about the Bay Area being, I can't live here anymore, even though he lives in Ross, which is like a more wealthy part of Marin, I thought. He, was living, he moved away. He moved to Colorado a long time ago. Anyway, uh, more of a Kirk Hammett. He was their guitarist. Is their guitarist. He's still around. He's... Anyway. <sighs> the, so their politics, not always... Mm, Metallica, Okay. I can see that. Janet Jackson. Wow. Okay. So there's a Metallica and a Janet Jackson concert. I didn't, this is only the first line of the article and I'm just kind of disappointed. And, you know, it's one thing if you're a struggling musician or artist and you're like looking to pay the bills and feed yourself and your family. It's another thing if you're, if you're well established enough to take money from like large corporations that do evil I, hmm. Okay. Last night, attendees of Salesforce's big dream fest concert featuring Metallica and Janet Jackson were greeted by a massive message projected on the side of the venue and nearby buildings, calling out Salesforce's multi 1000000 dollar contract with us customs and border protection. Uh, excuse me. That was almost going <laughs> to, I don't think I really burped too much into the mic that I can recall. It was more of a heaving motion that I was thinking of and, that came out. So excuse me, but I still feel the same way about us customs and border protection. What are you protecting us from? I don't know. Okay. There are sociopaths in the white house, so I don't know who you're protecting us from. Okay. And directing viewers to the text in number where they could take action during the action. A Salesforce representative offered to arrange a meeting with company executives in exchange for stopping the projections fight for the future. will agree to a meeting under these conditions. 1. Condition. Immigrants' rights groups, including mehente and racists, are invited to the meeting to represent directly affected communities. 2. The meeting is on the record and allowed to be recorded. 3. The meeting is with CEOs Mark Benioff and Keith Block. Fight for the future will continue to escalate until the meeting is officially scheduled and these conditions are agreed to. The projections, which clearly got Salesforce's attention, highlighted the cancel the contract hashtag, which has spread during the Dreamforce conference. Another directed viewers to text Benioff, which is B-E-N-I-O-F-F, to 384-387 to learn his secret Texting the number triggers a response with information about Salesforce's contract with Border Patrol and a link to take action. And they also, in the in the article, they have a link to the photos and videos of the projections. The latest protest comes just one day after Fight for the Future, Mijente and other groups made a splash at Dreamforce with a 14-foot-tall, 800-pound Salesforce-branded cage that represented a Border Patrol detention center. Fight for the Future, a digital rights organization, has been running a campaign at dropsalesforce.com, calling on Salesforce to cut ties and stop supporting human rights violations. During his keynote remarks at Dreamforce, On Tuesday, Salesforce co CEO Benioff warned tech companies against leaving criticism and feedback from customers and consumers unacknowledged. If trust is not your highest value, your employees and executives are going to walk out, Benioff said. The statement statement feels a bit empty, given that Salesforce is continuing to maintain a multi-million dollar contract with Border Patrol, despite the backlash of customers, partners, immigrant rights groups, and employees. Mark Benioff and other Salesforce execs can pretend to model a socially conscious tech company all they want, said Jelani Drew, campaigner for Fight for the Future. But until Salesforce drops their contract, With Border Patrol. They act they actively actively providing a tech foundation to enable human rights violations. Salesforce is getting real backlash. It's time for Benioff to decide if trust is his highest value and what legacy he wants to have. He acknowledges that Salesforce isn't perfect we're not asking them to be perfect. We're just asking them to listen to the people who are affected by their decisions to maintain this contract. Wow. <sighs> okay. So there is, um, there's that. And I I again uh the music today. Having a difficult time getting it all ready to go. I'm a one person machine here. Not a machine, but you know. Um, oh, sh- um trying to get this music ready for folks here and we are having difficulty. Nope. Alright, well, I'm going to look for it in another way, since iTunes is having difficulty popping up right now. We're going to get another song up. And again, grateful for the activists who are out there doing the work. Alright, here's a... We've been playing some more slower music, so here's something that's not as slow. And no, it's not Metallica.
5: Is that supposed to be doing that?
1: (laughs)
0: Okay, sorry. Okay, we're starting now.
3: Yeah. We're
6: beginning to kill,
3: and we want revolution. Girls don't know.
2: back. That was L7 with I came back to bitch, which I feel like would be a really great theme song for this show and I also want to like listen to that on repeat. That was really good. Before that, the Runaways' their version of Rock and Roll. And before that, Bikini Kill with Double Daria. Okay, we've got some more stories, uh, news articles. No. Oh, uh, nothing, nothing too happy, but we'll get through it. Bloom From Bloomberg, uh, U.S. students spend more time working paid jobs than going to class. Facing mounting debt, U.S. college students spend double the time working paid jobs than in the library. This is written by Riley Griffin. It came out on September 20th. Oh, you can listen to the article. Do you want to experiment and see what the voice sounds like? I doubt they curse as much as I do. Haunted by costly degrees and insurmountable student debt, American college students spend more time... Yeah, let's, let's give my voice a rest here. Let's see what this sounds like. U.S. students spend more time working paid jobs than going to class. Haunted by costly degrees and insurmountable student debt, American college students now spend more time working paid jobs than in lectures, the library, or studying at home. Um, this is like a robot voice. So maybe I'll read this one. The vast majority of student, The math... <laughs> The vast majority of current students, 85%, work well enrolled, according to an HSBC survey published Thursday. Students spend an average of 4.2 hours a day working paid jobs, which is more than double the time they spend in the library, nearly two hours more than they spend in class and 1.4 hours more time than they spend studying at home. The economics of the debt crisis have become a major distraction to students' education, said John Hupalo, founder and chief executive, officer of Invite Education, an education financial planner. Students' first priority should be to get value out of their education, not squeezing out hours at a job in order to make money to sustain that education. The HSBC study was conducted by Ipsos Mori, which surveyed 1,507 students aged 18 to 34 currently enrolled in undergraduate and postgraduate programs, and 10,478 parents with at least one child aged 23 or younger currently enrolled at a university. The survey sample was drawn from nationally representative online panels in 15 countries and territories from March to April of 2018. And they have chart here, which is the U.S. college students depend on paid employment, seeking additional income. Students spend more time each day working paid jobs and studying at home. And they have a chart that says this: working uh, four point two hours a day, studying at home two point eight, going to lectures, tutorials, and seminars is two point three, visiting the library one point five. So, oof. <sighs> The United States spends more poor college student than nearly every country in the world, according to a September report from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And the cost of tuition is at an all-time high, bringing with it the highest rate of student loan debt in history. And again, I'm going to just reach back to what I was talking about before with how we have got the money for war and not mental health care or education and how a lot of these problems could be avoided if there is a redistribution of wealth. (sighs) Student loans are now the second largest category of U.S. household debt, topping nearly $1.4 trillion. According to Bloomberg Intelligence, the burden is even larger for younger Americans with entry-level wages and salaries. Student loans currently make up 40% of all millennial debt. Students tend to rack up personal debt as well, spending an average of $4,321 to pay back credit cards, personal loans, and student debt over the course of their degree. That's nearly $1,000 more than they spend on academic books over the same period, and the <laughs> academic books are pretty expensive, according to the HSBC report. American students are also responsible for funding a larger portion of their expenses than students elsewhere in the world. American parents fund an average of $17,314 on tuition fees, accommodation, and other bills, but students spend nearly $100,000 while earning a college degree. That leaves a funding gap of more than $80,000. The fundamental issue is that families and students don't have a realistic knowledge of the actual cost of an education in advance, Paulo said. Uh, I would suggest that the fundamental issue is that it's too fucking expensive. Nearly three, but I'm I'm not an economist. Nearly three and four American parents rely on their day-to-day income to help fund their child's education, rather than resort to savings or borrowing. Study shows only quarter of parents fund their child's savings from a specific education savings. Or investment account, which is still slightly ahead of the global average. But it's not enough. Students still report feeling overwhelming anxiety about their financial situation and in turn their academic performances. Six in ten six in ten students said they feel anxious about their finances frequently or all the time, according to a report released Tuesday by Chegg, an education technology company. <coughs> Excuse me. And female students are were twenty-eight percent more likely than male students to be stressed. By financial concerns, a statistic in line with the student debt gap between men and women, women and people of color disproportionately bear the burden of student loan debt. There's no silver bullet, Paulo said. Despite the statistics, many students are actually handling these responsibilities well. And for some, taking on a bit more paid work could actually reduce their financial burden. Or it could be funded. Oh, and now I'm seeing an update from 37 minutes ago. Senate Republicans agreed to, to Kavanaugh delay for FBI probe. So, there we go. Thanks, Bloomberg. Um, we've got a few more articles here. Uh, Never-ending articles here. We get to only what we can get to here. I say we. I use the, I use the royal we. I say we. Uh, better use we than I. We're all in this together. Speaking of which, oh, I don't want to read this article. Oh, I don't want to read this one either. I guess, uh, oh, and this one. Oh, they're all three just dis- disappointing articles. Uh, I guess I'll start off with this one. It's from the Forward. Uh, my grandmother used to write for the Forward, which is uh, it's a Jewish uh, newspaper. Now it's online. It wasn't online back decades ago, obviously. Campus pro-Israel group monitored progressive Jewish students. And this is written by Josh Nathan Katzis. Uh, September 25th, 2018. In the fall of 2016, roughly a dozen Jewish college students gathered at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut for a weekend-long workshop. Led by young organizers of a tiny progressive Jewish student group called Open Hillel, the students strategized and networked. They had no idea they were being watched by a major pro-Israel organization with a budget of millions of dollars a year and links to the Israeli government. If you could see me now, I'm the microphones, I'm like falling faceward forward. Just ugh. I've already read the article and I'm still ugh, disgusted by it. In Washington, D.C., the Israel on Campus Coalition has had tasked its research team with keeping an eye on the open Hillel gathering, according to ICC promotional materials distributed to donors and obtained by the forward. In the donor materials, ICC said its research team would continue to monitor activities surrounding the Open Hillel conference. The monitoring of Open Hillel adds to an op- emerging picture of how the ICC has quietly used its $9 million budget supplied by major Jewish donors like Lynn Schusterman to discreetly build a sophisticated political intelligence operation on U.S. campuses as the Ford had has previously reported the ICC has run a misleading anonymous digital campaign against a Palestinian American poet and hired top-tier professional opposition researchers and political consultants to work against college student activists the monitoring of Open Hillel provides new evidence that the ICC has wielded its intelligence capabilities against young Jews open Hillel which began as a Jewish student pro- Jewish student protest of Hillel International's ban on speakers who endorse the boycott divestment and sanction movement said in a statement that it was upset to learn that the ICC had monitored its meeting. We are disturbed, though not surprised, to hear that the Israel on Campus Coalition has decided to use its considerable resources to monitor and spy on students advocating for open, pluralistic, and inclusive Jewish communities, the group said. Noting Hillel International's close ties with the ICC, Open Hillel said that, based on the revelations, Hillel International should cut ties with the Israel on Campus Coalition and condemn its practice of spying on and monitoring students. Hillel International declined to comment. It's not clear how the ICC monitored the Jewish students at Open Hillel. The ICC and its executive director, Jacob Bamey did not respond to multiple requests for comment. A former Open Hillel staff member who ran the 2016 workshop said that all the attendees had an ongoing relationship with the organization, which makes it unlikely that the ICC sent a mole to infiltrate the gathering. But the ICC excuse me the icc invests heavily on social media and data data monitoring with its own in-house research team and a war room at its dc headquarters with walls covered in computer screens that and that year had a $171,000 contract with a well-known Washington, D.C. opposition researcher. My guess would be that they are, were trying to be responsive to donor interest and concern about the Open Hillel movement, said one Jewish communal professional who asked not to be named to project relationships since its emergence in 2012 open hillel has been a source of concern for the jewish establishment which took it seriously in 2012 20 excuse me in 2015 hillel international sent a legal threat to Thworthmore college where a local hillel had declared itself a member of the open hillel movement Still, despite the nervous attention paid to it, Open Hillel has remained a small effort. In 2016, it had a staff of two organizers. Today, it has only one. Only a small handful of campus Hillel organizations have officially joined the movement. Wow. So, again, oh, it's not, sorry, the article's not over yet. The article's not over yet. The event at Wesleyan uh, that September was a weekend-long Open Hillel organizing workshop for around 15 college students. Registration cost $18. Rachel Sandalow-Ash, who at the time was one of Open Hillel's two national organizers, said that the workshop was a way for the group's far-flung student activists to get to know each other and to talk about their work. At the workshop, the members discussed an Open Hillel campaign to demand that Hillel International stop accepting funds from an Israeli government-funded program called Mosaic United, which directed Israeli government money to Jewish student programming in the U.S. The ICC has a close working relationship with the Israeli government, as The Forward reported in an article co-reported with ProPublica in mid-September. Leaders appear in an unaired hidden camera documentary saying that they coordinate or communicate with Israel's Ministry of Strategic Affairs, an Israeli agency tasked with opposing the BDS movement worldwide. It's probable that the impetus for monitoring open Hillel came from closer to home. The Jewish communal professional said that the ICC was likely seeking to show donors that it was keeping on top of the open HallL issue by keeping an eye on their activities. It's good strategy, but secondly, it speaks very much to the to what the donor class is interested in, which is being ahead of the curve, the professional said. The ICC's donors include many with close ties to Hillel International, including Hillel International's board chair, Tina Price, who also sits on the ICC's board. ICC board member Lisa Eisen is a vice president of the Charles and Lynn Schusterman Family Foundation, which gave the ICC $6.8 million between 2010 and 2016. And after which Hillel International's headquarters in Washington, D.C. is named. Eisen and the Schusterman Foundation did not respond to multiple queries from the forward about whether Eisen or the foundation's founder, Lynn Schusterman, was aware that ICC had been monitoring activity around the 2016 Open Hillel Conference, or whether Eisen or Schusterman thought that the ICC should be monitoring Jewish student groups. Spying on students or monitoring students in any capacity is upsetting, said Eva Ackerman Open Hillel's current national organizer and its sole employee. I guess I question why Hillel International is still parenting with this group if it's using these tactics. In mid-September, the Ford and ProPublica reported that the ICC had run misleading Facebook campaigns that were meant to appear as though they had been set up by local college students. The report also outlined how the ICC's had said in 2016 that his organization's work was modeled on a military doctrine called counterinsurgency, which emphasizes intelligence gathering and so-called offensive information operations to discredit insurgent fighters. Anonymous digital campaigns like the one described in the mid-September story seem to be a key part of the ICC strategy. As the forward and ProPublica reported, Bami was recorded in in unaired hidden camera documentary saying with the anti-israel people what's most effective what we found at least in the in the in the last year is that you do the opposition research put up some anonymous website and then put up targeted facebook ads (sighs) Um, there's a couple more paragraphs i'm going to um, actually I'll read the last paragraph here. It's made many of our pro-Israel students walk away. The GW Hillel executive director, Adina Kirstein said of the anonymous sites in an interview with the Ford this summer, even though we are very clear, we had nothing to do with any of these sites. And I do not know who created any of these methods. They don't want to risk being affiliated with a version of the pro, of pro-Israel that looks like that. So that's the article from the forward, uh, campus pro-Israel group monitored progressive Jewish students. Again, find it on our Facebook page. Speaking of facebook, here's a here's a segue. And yes, there are articles about Facebook doing bad things. From BBC News. Facebook security breach up to fifty million accounts attacked, written by Dave Lee. One hour ago. It's very rare that we get a segue that just goes that smoothly. And I'm gonna have a sip of water here. Okay. Facebook has said, and also speaking of Facebook, we do know that there was someone who is on the board at Facebook who was at the Kavanaugh hearings as a supporter of Kavanaugh. So fuck him. Okay. The company, uh, Facebook has said almost 50 million of its users were left exposed by a security flaw. You would know, think a company with that much money and that I many people, people working for it, it would be secure, but I guess not. The company said attackers were able to exploit a vulnerability in a feature known as View As. To gain control of people's accounts, the breach was discovered Tuesday, Facebook said, and it has informed police. Oh, great! Now everything will be just fine. <sighs> Users, <laughs> okay. <sighs> Users that had potentially been affected were promptly were prompted to log in, re-log in on Friday. Oh, I think that. I wonder if that happened to me. Okay. that was okay the flaw had been fixed wrote the firm's head of security guy rosen adding all affected accounts had been reset as well as another 40 million as precautionary step facebook which saw its share price drop more than three percent on friday has more than two billion active monthly users i unfortunately am still one of them and that worked that way i know it's uh, yeah okay who has been affected? The firm would not say where in the world the 50 million users are, but it has informed Irish data regulators where Facebook's European subsidiary is based. Users, users that had potentially been affected were prompted to re in on Friday. However, the company said users did not have to change their passwords. Since we've only just started our investigation, we have yet to determine whether these accounts were misused or any information accessed. We also don't know who's behind these attacks or where they're based. He added, people's privacy and security is incredibly important, and we're sorry this happened. Of course, it's not the first time it's happened, though. What is view as? Facebook's view as function is a privacy feature that allows people to see what their own profile looks like to other viewers, excuse me, other other users, making it clear when information is viewable to their friends, friends of friends, or the public. Attackers... Uh, found multiple bugs in this feature that allowed them to steal Facebook access tokens, which they could then use to take over people's accounts, Mr. Rosen explained. Access tokens are the equivalent of digital keys that keep people logged in to Facebook so they don't need to re-enter their password every time they use the app, he added. The breach comes at a time when the firm is struggling to convince lawmakers in the U.S. and beyond that it is capable of protecting user data. Facebook founder Zuck said in a conference a call on Friday that the firm took security seriously in the face of what he said were constant attacks by bad actors. Yet, the, yet we all know from the history of Facebook they had kicked people off for not having their, quote, real names, even though folks might change their names to protect themselves. You know that the site has dead named people. Protect white supremacists and had groups like that protected, while other activists who counter that have gotten kicked off or been blocked for saying that men are trash and other true statements like that. Okay, has your Facebook account been affected? You can share your experience by emailing HaveYourSay at BBC.co.uk. Please include your contact number if you're willing to speak to BBC journalists. You can also contact them. Oh, got WhatsApp. The article has tweeting. Da, 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 da. They have a lot more info. Or you can use the form below, which they include. All right. Um, speaking of things I mentioned earlier. Oh. Getting a bit of a reload right now. From Gate. This came out yesterday. Homeland Security officers patrolling BART trains as part of, in their quotations, normal anti-terrorism checks. They have images. Uniformed Department of Homeland Security officers seen patrolling BART trains and stations this week are members of the tra- of a transportation security. Oh, fuck, I'm so angry. I can't even read this sentence. Transportation Security Administration Team, according to BART and Department of Homeland Security officials. Photos posted to social media, including a tweet by Janice Lee, a San Francisco resident running for the Bay Area Rapid Transit Board of Directors, show a line of at least eight armed, uniformed DHS officials walking in the aisle among seated passengers on a train bound for the Civic Center BART station in San Francisco. Roughly five DHS officials were seen standing in the Powell Street BART station on market on Tuesday morning. Each official was outfitted in a black bulletproof vest emblazoned with the word police and had a firearm, radio, and flashlight holstered in a black utility belt. As a regular transit rider, their presence doesn't make me feel safe, and it makes you think that something out of the ordinary is happening, Lee said, and I would agree. Lee described the train as being eerily quiet when the armed officials walked through the train. It was scary because I'm an immigrant and it's not a normal sight to see an entire squad of armed officers on BART, Lee said. Alicia Trost, the chief public information officer on BART, told the Chronicle that the DHS officials were from the Trans... Transportation Security Administration, and not members of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a fear that some writers have communicated on social media and to transportation officials. Tr- Trost said that the DHS officials are part of the Transportation Security Administration's so-called VIPR team, Viper team, which stands for Visible Intermodal Intermodal Prevention and Response. The idea is that they help patrol transit systems and airports, and this is a transit arm, Tross said. This is nothing new. It is fucking new, and it's fucking gross. And we also know BART police kill people, so how is fucking adding more armed, quote-unquote, security going to help? Oh, gosh. And, of course, they've also been adding, taking a side note here, they've been adding more fare inspectors instead of actually lowering the cost or making it so they can have more affordable... Cost for people. I mean, if they have to pay people, they pay people to be fair inspectors instead of just taking that money and making lower fares for some people. Have a sliding scale. Why not do that? Get rid of the gates entirely. Or how about the private buses that I know it's Muni; it's a separate company, but Muni, the private, the tech buses don't pay enough to use Muni spaces. And so it's like, why not get money from the companies that have a lot of money to subsidize riders on BART and Muni? Why not do that? Why not tax these companies that have a lot? Speaking of which, I'm going to make a voting, and I view voting as harm reduction. I think it's more important for local than the national. Um, However, there are a couple of bills coming up on this November's election campaign that I'm actually going to read about. I'm going to interrupt this article so I can read it. And one is Prop C, which folks should vote for, because this does involve taxing these really wealthy companies that have not been taxed before and giving money back to the people. One is Yes on C, Vital Housing and Services, a bold plan to tackle SF's homeless crisis funded by a small tax on our largest corporations. I feel like there should be a large tax on our largest corporations. However, yes, we should vote Yes on C, because the homeless crisis hurts all of us. I'm going to read from their pamphlet. Uh, Prop C is a local initiative crafted by the people of on the front lines of our homeless n- homeless crisis. It will be funded by the city's very largest corporations, many of whom just received a huge tax break from 45. This top 1% will pay a small additional tax averaging one half of 1% on revenue greater than $50 million a year. So this is only for companies that make more than $50 million a year. And in fact, like they should be taxed more than that. Again, got to start where we can. Uh, Prop C will prevent homelessness by protecting 7,000 San Franciscans from losing their homes, provide mental health care for over 4,000 severely impaired individuals, create affordable housing by moving more than 4,000 households off the streets and into affordable homes, provide clean streets and fund sanitary bathrooms across the city, provide shelter off the street by giving the 1,000 people on our wait list for shelter each night a place to sleep off the street, You go to www.ourcityourhomesf.org. Join us in voting yes on Prop 10 and Prop C, Affordable Housing Alliance, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, Coalition on Homelessness, United Educators of SF, California Nurses Association, SF Tenants Tenants Union, Senior and Disability Action, Housing Rights Committee of SF, SEIU 1021, and ACCE, which is only a partial list of all the organizations and groups that are in support of this bill uh next stop skyrocketing rents prevent homelessness yes on 10. The Affordable Housing Act restores cities' right to protect tenants because the rent is way too high. Prop 10 will repeal the Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act, an outdated state law passed by the real estate lobby to undermine local rent control. San Francisco deserves the right to update our rent control laws and stabilize our communities. Prop 10 will help us protect tenants and families threatened with skyrocketing rents eviction and displacement reduce homelessness caused by evictions and stop predatory rent gouging vote yes on 10 now is the time stand together to protect our communities wwwvoteyesonprop vote yes on prop10.org and that's paid for by the San francisco tenants union pac liberal their pack fppc uh, number 1391749 sponsored by the san francisco tenants union an awesome org and they have financial disclosures are available at sffx.org so there's some flyers i'm gonna leave some here in the station too you can you can check them out again yes on 10 yes on c we'll have more about that as november approaches but for the folks who vote in san francisco uh important things to vote on and vote yes on okay moving along to this fucking nonsense all right the militarization of everything makes things worse the end Kelly said the TSA team regularly participates in transportation operations such as these throughout the country in partnership with law enforcement and security authorities in all modes of transportation, including rail, air, and maritime. The Department of Homeland Security officials did not state why the team was deployed. That might be a good thing you might want to ask. Uh, On BART trains and stations Tuesday morning, a TSA pamphlet states TSA's security partners may request random, unpredictable operations in an effort to deter terrorism. (sighs) Fuckers. Uh, TSA informational pamphlets also say that these teams can be deployed in transportation systems that are at high risk of potential terrorist threats or during events where the number of travelers increases. Kelly declined to state any plans for DHS patrols on BART stations, but said that the Viper teams vary in size and are typically made up of federal air marshals to increase the safety. This is their quote, increase, increase the safety of traveling public in, all modes of transportation. It's unclear how often DHS officials patrol BART trains and stations. But Jim Allison, the media and relations manager for BART, said via email that the TSA team patrolled BART trains during the 2016 Super Bowl week. Oh yes, that was also the week when they fucking swept out and made all folks who were homeless uh, move. <sighs> God. Again, having law enforcement there, it's. Great at the expense of folks who are black and brown and poor folks, disabled folks, queer and trans folks, folks who have PTSD from dealing with law enforcement. This really is far worse for people than helpful. All right. So he says it happened during the Super Bowl week and during Golden State Warriors victory parades in recent years. Uh, But they're not having a victory parade right now. So why do it? I think it's just to normalize us to the fascist agenda. That's my take on it. The DHS presence comes weeks after BART's board of directors announced it would hold public hearings, which we, we did go to, and we spoke out against this, regarding purchases and spy technology. Activists at a recent board meeting said that the rail line security camera sent $57,000... Fifty. Excuse me. It sent. It's getting towards the end of the program, I'm... Um, getting to the end of it here, uh, said the rail line security camera sent 57,000 license plate scans to a database that could be shared and accessed by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. BART police chief Carlos Rojas said that at the time he didn't have any information that would suggest that any data was shared with ICE or the Department of Homeland Security, but they did. So that's pretty fucking disturbing. Oh, I wanted to end on something happy and not something that's super, Unnerving and depressing. Ugh. I'm looking for upcoming events. Right now, well, at 5.30 p.m. at Market and Powell. There's an emergency protest. Stop Kavanaugh now. Um, what else is happening that I can share with you all? Other events or protests that are happening. And again, even if you don't see one happening, um, create one. There's the Prita Project at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts, tonight at 7 p.m., tonight 7.30 p.m., Empowering Women of Color, uh, open mic series. Um, let's see, what else is happening that we can share Sunday? Um, there's a Cat Brooks for Mayor fundraiser happening on Sunday, September 30th in North Oakland. Um, that's again 5 to 7 (sighs) p.m. there's phone banking at the stud on monday let's look at that it's october 1st and the stud is the only i believe uh it's a queer worker owned queer bar in san francisco it's been around for a while phone banking at the stud let's read about this join the yes on e campaign every monday night at the stud for phone banking At your favorite Soma Queer Bar from 5 to 8 p.m. every Monday night, we'll be setting up tables and calling voters to let them know that Yes on E will increase critical funding for arts and culture throughout San Francisco. That's great. So I'm going to also, let's see, I'm going to also share this as well. I'll share it on the weekly review webpage. Um, If you can't make it, perhaps you can share with someone who is interested in making it. And... Also, and or also just getting the word out about Prop E. So yes on E, yes on C, yes on 10. That's great. Um, again, it's harm reduction. Really, you know, Unless there's a measure on the ballot that says we're going to redistribute the wealth right now. Uh, a lot of this is just trying to make things a little bit better with what we have right now. Or less worse, maybe. So, yep, that's what we're going to do. I was unable to find the song I really wanted to play at the beginning of the show um, called tell like it is by Tracy Chapman. So, and didn't really have a chance. Didn't really take too many breaks on the show. I didn't really take any breaks on the show here. So unfortunately, um, we'll see what we can do. to I'll do one more check around, look for it here. Um, before we go do stay tuned though, coming up next on the weekly, Re- <laughs> it's time to end. All right. Coming up next, on um, Mutiny Radio is Women's Magazine with Global Val, which starts at 3 p.m., followed, nope, at 2 p.m., <laughs> followed by the Common Thread Collective um, from 3 to 6, which is a, an open mic of all sorts here. Music, comedy, not, not too much comedy on there, but there is sometimes spoken word poetry. Um, they have a lot of guests, of uh, activists as well. Super informative. It's a great program. So definitely check that out. There's comedy tonight. There's a lot of shows here every day of the week. And if you so check out mutinyradio.fm for the full schedule. And if you yourself are interested in having a show here, um, that's totally doable. There's a lot of slots available. You get trained, you pay monthly dues, and you get a show of your own. We also have spaces available for rental. There's also an AA meeting on Wednesday nights here as well. For more info, check out MutinyRadio.fm. Also, if you would like to support the show, um, Tell a friend, um, download some. We've got the archive. They've been in the show since late 2013. We've got the archive going back to 2015. Um, we've got the shows from 2014. I don't know. They're on a server somewhere in the universe. They're out there. We've got them recorded. We'll put them up at some point. I, uh, I don't know. Um, however, if you appreciate this and have a few bucks to spare, uh, looking for a sponsorship for the show. We already have a number of sponsors and we're super grateful for them um, to be able to cover the costs here at the show. If you want to kick in a few extra bucks, um, I would appreciate it. It's it's difficult coming in here and reading about what's happening. It's not easy. It's not necessarily fun. And um, anything to help um, to acknowledge that you're listening and able to, I don't know, it's, I, I have difficulty asking for help, asking for money. If you're able to kick in a few bucks, uh, we'd appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to having some more shows on throughout the, the rest of the, the, now it's the end of the month. Yeah. I'm kind of tired. It's a, it's a lot, it's a lot coming here. So I'm going to try a few more things. I'm going to keep on chatting along here as I, well, I'll play another song that was recommended and hopefully we'll find uh, the one we're looking for. And if not, we don't. And, um, yeah, stay tuned to meet your radio. Thanks again. I really do appreciate folks listening. It's a lot. So thanks for listening and we'll be back uh, next week.
3: Like a small boat.
2: Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure it's great. I'm just not feeling it. I need something. I need some more <laughs> something of the L7 and Bikini Hill variety. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna end the, the show on some punk because that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Um, yeah, that's that's where we're at. I'm pretty pretty worn out. Definitely worn out. And I don't understand how anyone who's paying attention to what's happening right now might not feel at some point um worn out so here's some more L7 and uh, uh we'll be back next week I'm going to, well, this am going to talk over this. If you wanted to donate to the show, I didn't say how you could do that. Check out patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Anywhere from a dollar a month and more is greatly appreciated. Thanks so much.
4: Ja, und wie man eben deutlich hören könnte, die vier Mädchen aus Los Angeles sprechen inzwischen.